Faith Memorial Church was founded in 1945 as Cleveland Evangelistic Center. A lot has changed since then, but one thing hasn't. Faith Memorial Church's passion for Christ and compassion for the people of our community. If you have your Bibles while they're taking up the tithes and the offerings, I want you to turn over to John chapter 1. I'm not entirely sure about that. I've been going back and forth between a couple passages. So we may just jump all over the place and have a merry old time. Just mark this page because we may go there in just a minute. John chapter 1. I've been a little unsettled in my spirit about how to preach this message. So that's why I may be coming across a little odd. God hasn't given me the fullness of what what we're going to preach. And usually uh, by Saturday night, Sunday morning, unless he changes it, I know. But even last night when I got home, I told my wife, I said, I just don't know. And she said, well, what are you going to do about that? And I said, nothing. <laughs> I said, God has the rest of tonight. He can give me a dream, a vision, a revelation. He has all morning, tomorrow morning, all the way up until I get behind the pulpit to change it. And I guess if he wants to, he can change it while I'm behind the pulpit. But I just don't know. I know the subject or the topic of where we're going because we're going to continue our series. So let me start there and let's just see where we end up. Amen. Before we do, I want to take a moment to pray and I want to ask that God gives us a right now word. Pastor Mike always calls it a rhema word or a word or a revelation that's in the moment. The Spirit of God manifesting in the sermon or in the message to speak something specific to you and to your life. I always like to think of it as in the book of Acts when they're in the upper room and the Holy Spirit falls on everyone there. They come out and when they come out they don't realize that they're speaking another language. They're just talking. But everybody that's around them is hearing them in their own language native language the holy spirit is taking the words as they come out of their mouth and transforming them before they get to the ears of the people listening and they hear it in their own language and i always kind of take an allegorical message from that and say god when i speak something even if my words are weak and frail and without power i ask that you grab them in midair and transform them so that they appeal and they apply to the background and to the heart and to the circumstance of everybody that's listening And so that's what we're going to pray this morning, is that the Holy Spirit changes these words like arrows to pierce into your hearts. And if you don't want to be pierced, too bad. We're going to pray it anyway. Because we all need to be changed. None of us are perfect. You know how I know? Because if you were perfect, you would have already made like Enoch and Elijah and already walked up that staircase right into heaven. God would have already taken you out. He would have been like, you're too good for this world. It's not worthy of you. I'm taking you out. But since you're here, you still got room to grow. (laughs) You still got opportunity or opportunity, depending on how you want to, how fancy you want to (laughs) get. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, please. I'm not asking this out of repetition. I'm not asking this out of tradition. I'm asking because there is a dire need in my heart. Lord, don't let this just be a sermon. Don't let this just be something empty. 
Don't let it be just a lecture or cool collection of stories or opinions or word studies. But God, let this be something with power. Lord, let this be something that has your spirit written all over it, your stamp, your signature, so that when it goes out, Lord, it produces change. Lord, and let it sustain that change. Let it produce growth. Let it bring deliverance. Let it bring hope. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 1. Yeah, let's go. John chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read, I don't know, let's say 14 verses. Let's just do that. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Man, that is one of the most beautiful passages that you're going to find in this Bible or any piece of literature anywhere. My mind and my heart still can't wrap around this. So we're just going to start at the top and we're just going to work through this. And like I said, we're going to adventure together. We're going to see where God takes us. You might recognize the first three verses or the first three words of John. In the beginning. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? In the beginning. How many of you guys have watched this Chosen series? You guys watch the series The Chosen? Okay, well, some of you have, some of you haven't. I'm not going to spoil anything. It's a good show. At least the first two seasons are. I still haven't watched the third season. It's a good show. But in one of the episodes, like I said, I'm not going to spoil anything, you have John, and he's kind of taking people's accounts of what happened, just their version of events. And he's compiling it because it's his intention some point off in the future to write a gospel account which is coincidentally what we have laid in front of us. But during this whole thing, he makes the connection between Jesus and the person of Christ and God who created the heavens and the earth. And he makes this connection. And the chosen kind of pick up on this, what happened in real life, and they try to illustrate this into their show. Many people have preached on this topic, so I'm not giving you any new information. But what the author John, what the Apostle John is doing here is he's wanting to combine two ideas. 
See, at this point in time in history, all of Palestine, all of Israel has been pervaded because of Alexander the Great and his military accomplishments, has been pervaded with the Hellenistic culture. And with Hellenistic culture, that means Greek, Greek culture, Hellenistic Greek culture. And with that culture has come a lot of philosophy. I mean, you think about Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras, you know, Hephaestus. You got all kinds of of philosophers throughout the history of Greece. And they had this idea, Aristotle purported this idea. um, It was really capitalized on what Plato had begun. But he talked about the fact that the universe can't be self-existent. The fact that the earth had to be created. And he goes through all of these philosophical arguments, and I won't go into them, and I won't bore you with that now, but he talks about the uncaused cause and the unmoved mover, and they kind of attribute this title to it. They call it the logos, which is Greek for the word. And so what John is doing is he is taking that idea that saturates his society the Roman world at this time, which is saturated with Greek culture, and he knows that all of these high intellectuals, because of philosophy, they know about the origin of the universe. They know about this idea of the logos, this idea of the word. And he says, there's some truth in that, but let me bring greater clarity to what you're talking about. Let me marry it to the Hebrew account of how this world began in the beginning. In the beginning, God, the first book of Moses. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he is taking these two ideas, the religious idea of the Jews and the philosophical idea of the Greeks and the Gentiles, and he is marrying them together to show that both of them have truth in them, but the fullness comes in what he's about to reveal in his gospel account. In the beginning, God. John's not saying that Genesis' account is inadequate. He's not writing an amendment saying, well, this was pretty good for that time, but we're going to overwrite that and change some things. That's not what he's doing at all. What he's actually doing is he is saying, hey, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's exactly true. But I want to, by the power of the Spirit, the inspiration of the Spirit, bring some clarification to that. I want to explain to you what was actually happening. And so he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Logos, he was there in the beginning. And see, Augustine, one of the great fathers of the church, he said this, he said, the Old Testament has concealed what the New Testament has revealed. The Word was there in Genesis 1, because Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-2 says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God brooded over the waters, and God said, let there be light. How did he say it? With the Word. So Genesis 1-1 has the Father, Genesis 1-2 has the Spirit, Genesis 1-3 has the Word or the Son. They're all right there, but we, without the help of the New Testament, wouldn't have picked up on that revelation. Looking back, now that the New Testament has unveiled it, we can clearly see the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. But we needed the New Testament to bring light to that. And that's what John's doing right here. He's saying in the beginning was the Word, meaning that he's co-eternal with God. He has no beginning He was not created. We call this like the aseity of God. The aseity of God. That's a big fancy word, but it simply just means the self-existence of God. It means that God doesn't need nobody nor nothing. 
There's some country for you. He doesn't need no body and he don't need no nothing for his creation. God don't depend on nothing. He don't need anything. Doesn't mean he doesn't want it. It doesn't mean he doesn't take pleasure in it. It doesn't mean he doesn't bring him joy. He doesn't need anything. God has always been. There was never a time when God was not. And there will but never be a time when God isn't. That's my biggest problem with a lot of the, the cults and a lot of different worldviews out there is they try to say, well, we use the same words, but they try to take away the self-existence of God. Or they try to take away the deity and the self-existence of Christ. Listen, there's heresies out there that say that God used to be a man and he lived a perfect life and so he was rewarded with this world and became a God. And there's heresies out there in the church that purport that Jesus Christ was created and that he, God then used him to create everything else. That's a lie. There's heresies out there, particularly in Pentecostal realms, that will say that Jesus Christ was just a man that lived a pretty good life and that when he got baptized, God decided to touch him and put his spirit into him and bring him up and adopt him into the Godhead. That is a lie. That's fiction. Jesus Christ has always been and will always be. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has no beginning. In the beginning was the Word, just like in the beginning God. Not in the beginning of God, not in the beginning of the Word, because they have no beginning. In the beginning of everything else, before anything else began, God started. He was already there. There was always God. And there was always the Spirit. And there was always the Word. And see, John doesn't want to get us confused. We have this teaching in Pentecostalism called Oneness Pentecostalism. And they try to say that Jesus is the Father and Jesus is the Spirit and Jesus is the Son. It's just three manifestations of one person. That is fictional. And what John does is he says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. I don't usually pronounce Greek words, but this one's pretty easy. That word with, it's pronounced pros. Pros, like pro football with an S. Pros. I did that right. Don't look at me. <laughs> Pros. And what it means is it means face to face or over against one another. And the reason that he uses this word is because he does not want people to get confused and say the word is just another name for God. God has a lot of names. They don't want, he doesn't want you to think, oh, it was the Father in the beginning and He was actually the Word and the Spirit. So John uses this word pros to say, no, it was a relationship between two persons. Rather, between three persons with one nature. See, we, we distinguish between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but we can't divide them. That's very, very important when you're studying the Bible. You've got to learn when to distinguish and when to divide. And here's a good example for you. I can look at you and I can distinguish between your head and your body. And you're fine. But if I divide your head from your body, you're dead. You can distinguish between the three persons of the Trinity, but they cannot be divided. God is simple. He is not made up of parts. He cannot be separated one from another. And the Word is one of the three persons of the Trinity. And it has this face-to-face, -face, this intimate relationship. And that's what it says down even in verse 18 of John chapter 1. It says, The one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Closest relationship. Meaning they're not the same. 
And you're probably wondering why I'm stressing this Trinity so much. Because we're doing this series on nothing but Jesus. Remember Corinthians, Paul said, I resolved to know nothing while I was among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We're doing this series on nothing but Jesus. And we're walking through the entire person and work of Jesus Christ as it's revealed to us in Scripture. And in order for us to do that, we had to start with the covenant of redemption. In eternity past, long before God said, let there be light, He said, let there be salvation. And He made a decision, a covenant, an agreement with Himself to provide an atonement for us who fell. That was before creation. But now we need to come into creation. And in order for us to do this and keep our eye on Jesus, we need to know that He is part, a person, in this divine trinity, this divine Godhead. Let's keep going. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. See, I hate it when people talk about Jesus being created. It frustrates me because if you read this verse, it says without him, nothing was made that has been made. Well, if he was made, how could he be made when nothing was made without him? He would have had to exist partially before he existed completely. And that's just complete foolishness. I mean, that doesn't even make sense to say it. Jesus has always been. Now, granted, his name hasn't always been Jesus. His name hasn't always been Jesus. That was the name that was given to Mary that he took upon himself so we can in retrospect identify him as jesus in eternity past but throughout the old testament his name hadn't been revealed as being jesus up until we get into gabriel's revelation to mary but the second person of the godhead the divine son eternally begotten not made co-eternal with god the father and with god the spirit has always 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 been and that i, I can think about future Listen, I can think about in the future, I can think about a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now, you know, if the Lord should tarry that long, which I doubt. But I can think about the eschaton and the parousia, the coming of the Lord and the end times. I can think about Him gathering together the saints. I can think about New Jerusalem. I can think about an eternity and celebration and worship and joy with the saints and with the angels and with God. I can imagine that in the future. Can't you? I mean, I, I, my imagination pales in comparison for what the realization of it will be, but I can imagine that. But my thought process and imagination in the past goes only so far. I can think about the creation of Adam and Eve. I can think about the seven days of creation when God unfolded everything. I can think about all of that. But before that, it begins to get a little dicey. Because God created the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing. Out of nothing. No pre-existent materials. He didn't just say, oh, here's a bunch of dirt and a bunch of water. Let me just fashion this and form it. No, he had nothing. Not just no materials. There was no space to put the materials in. He had to create the space and then the materials to put in the space that he had created. And then he had to breathe life into the creation. And set it in motion. I can think of, I can imagine some of that stuff. But what about before there was space, before there was matter? I can't even begin to fathom. What did it look like? What 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 was it? I don't have any idea. But I do know that God was there. And so was this word and the spirit. In him was life. 
And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. These two verses here, I want you to keep them in your mind because this is where we're going to come back to. We're going to come back to this. But this is the focal point of creation, is the light. We're just going to hop over it for a minute. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Praise God. You know, let me, let me just say something. One of my favorite people in the entire Bible is the, John the Baptist. So here you have the Apostle John who's writing about John the Baptist. Pretty simple. But the reason I love John the Baptist so much is because here's a guy who doesn't give a flip about nothing. I mean, he is eating locusts and wild honey, and he's wearing an itchy camel skin garment. Probably had dreadlocks. I mean, an unkempt beard. Probably a rough-looking character. Listen, if you don't believe me, the old-fashioned way to make dreadlocks is you put honey in your hair and you don't wash it, and then you pull it in strands. He ate honey. He lived in the wilderness. He didn't have soap. Probably had dreadlocks. Just saying. I, so now, forever, you're going to picture John the Baptist with dreadlocks. You're welcome for that. That's free. <laughs> But you got this wild-looking man in the wilderness. And he just starts baptizing people. Just starts dunking them in the water. And everybody's like, what are you doing? Why are you baptizing people? And what gives you the right? And he says, look, I am baptizing people for the remission of their sins. I am doing this because I'm not the light. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not that prophet that's supposed to come after the type of Moses. I'm none of that. And they say, who are you? And he says, look, I am just this guy, this voice crying out in the wilderness saying, Make straight the paths of the Lord. Prepare for His coming. That's it. I'm a witness. And good Lord, if more ministers of the gospel wouldn't get this through their head, I am not the light. I am not the light. You are not the light. He is the light. Stop looking at me. I'm going to let you down. Listen, I promise Look at me for a little while and you will get disappointed. I make a lot of mistakes. I trip up a lot. I say a lot of dumb things. I put my foot in my mouth all the time. It doesn't take very long to see me get frustrated, to see me get annoyed, to see me throw my hands up and say, what are you doing, God? Where are you at? Listen, I get there way more frequently than I'd care to brag. But let's just be honest. Let's take, let's take our halos off. Set them in the seat next to us and let's have church for a minute. I get frustrated. I get weak. I have doubts. I have concerns. I get depressed. I get sad. I'm not the light. I need Him to shine on me every moment of the day. And the moment that I walk under a shade tree, I'm like, Elijah, Lord, I've had enough. Kill me. I quit. I'm going home. I get like that. Don't look at me. And you know what? Every minister that stands up in this pulpit and says that they don't is a bold-faced liar. Or they're a hireling and fake. 
I'm serious. Because if you stand up in this pulpit or behind this sacred desk, this roster right here, you stand behind this, Satan will come at you with everything he has. Listen, I was listening to Mike Tyson the other day. Mike Tyson, boxer, you know, bit dude's ear. Evander Holyfield's ear off. That guy. I was listening to him in an interview. And you know what he said? Blew my mind. You can learn something from anyone. And Mike Tyson was teaching me this day. He said this. He said, oh, yeah, God choose you. He's talking in his, his Mike Tyson speech. God will choose you. He said, but the moment God choose you, devil choose you too. God chooses you, so does Satan. God anoints you. Here comes Satan. He can't manufacture anointing, but he'll give you every gift and talent he can muster up. God wants you, so does the devil. And the moment he realizes God's after you, he picks up the pace. It's kind of like a job offer. You know, you got a bunch of job offers on the table, and this company realizes that this company paid you so much, so they're going to try to pay you more or give you better benefits because they want you to come over to their side. And what Mike Tyson was saying, he's like, look, he's like, God will bless you, so will Satan. Let's get out of your head. All blessings don't come from God. Some blessings come straight from the pit of hell. Good is the enemy of great. Satan will bless you to get you away from where God wants you. And Mike Tyson, his, the point of his little conversation was this. He said, but you've got to remember who's going to bring you home. Not who's going to take you so far and dump you the moment you can't find your way back. You know, when you're in a plane or in a boat, and you're on a destination, you get past what's called the point of no return, it means you've used so much fuel that now you cannot turn around to go back the way you came. You have to finish the journey. Satan will bring you. He will bless you. He will give you talents and gifts and whisper every kind and good thing in your ear he can possibly think to get you just past that point of no return where you don't think you've got enough fuel in your tank to get back where you started. And then he'll dump you. And all you've got left to do is you've got to walk that thing out and hope that somewhere along the line you find the real light so that God can bring you home. But we've got to get it through our heads. We are not the light. We are not the light. We are not the source of light. We are not the life. We are not the source of life. All we are is witnesses that say, I have had the light shine on me and I'm standing here as one beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. That's it. Witnesses to the light. And John got this. And I wish that every person that ever stood behind a pulpit would get it too. Because of one of the greatest temptations. I don't care if you're preaching the gospel, leading a Sunday school class, standing up here playing a piano or a guitar or a bass or singing or playing the drums. One of the biggest things the enemy will use to anyone that tries to enter ministry is pride. He will use pride to say, well, you are doing God a favor. Look at you. Look at how good you preach. Look at how, look, last week everybody told you you did the best job possible. Look at you. You're doing God a favor standing up there. <laughs> That's when you got to tell, devil, you're a liar. <laughs> I have no good thing except that which comes from above and from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. And the same is true when they tell you that you ain't good enough. 
that God don't want you, you've got to say, devil, you're a liar just as quick. Because anybody can be a witness. My son Asher and Claire, who I brought up here on, on stage before service, asking them about the gospel. They ain't had seminary. They ain't had training. They can't read the Bible except in their kids' versions. But they can testify. Anyone can be a witness. Anyone can be a witness. In a, in a criminal case, they'll bring somebody that's a child up as long as they're coherent and able to recite what they saw happen. Anyone can be a witness. And that's all we're doing. We ain't standing up here putting on a performance. This ain't entertainment. Anyone can be a witness. That's what we're called to do, to be a witness to the light, to realize we are not the light. We are not the life. We are witnesses to it. Let's keep going. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. What the Apostle John is doing is he started out that marriage between the Hebraic account of creation and the philosophical account of creation and he begins to unfold showing that the word was there and that he's clarifying the truth and now he's unfolding to us who the word is and spoiler alert the word is Jesus Christ he that's what he's unfolding to us while saying John prepared the way he began to reveal to you who the word is the eternal son of God but now he's, he's following that and he's saying, and the Word, God, came into the world and the world didn't even recognize Him. You want to know why that is? Why the world didn't recognize Him? Because the world loved darkness. And you know, when we talk about darkness, especially when we're like met, using a figurative speech, when we talk about darkness, we're thinking about like gross sins. Which now, sin is just paraded through the streets. People dressing up like Satan and engaging in all kinds of demonic activities. It ain't going to be long and they're going to start offering human sacrifices. I'm just telling you the truth. The trajectory that we're going, it won't be long. And they will build altars and they will offer children and people on altars. I'm, I'm serious. The trajectory that we're going, bet on it. But that's the kind of sin, when we talk about darkness, that's where everybody's mind goes. They think about that pitch black, gross sin. They think about the Satanism and the demonic activity and all of that stuff. But you know what darkness means? Darkness is what's called an unquantifiable substance. Meaning that you can't measure darkness. Because it's not really an entity in of itself. It's the absence of something. It's the absence of light. So anytime there's an absence of light which is the Word, there's darkness. And men in the world didn't recognize the Word coming into the world because they loved the darkness. This is what John 3.16 and on talks about. Everybody can quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? We all quote that? What about the next verse? What about the next verse when it says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. What about the next verse? Whosoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whosoever believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. But people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. They love the darkness. They love the absence of the light because they know when they come into the light, their deeds will be exposed. But those that love the light and love the truth, they come to the light that it might be manifest that their deeds are wrought in God. That is the problem. The light, the word, the life came into the world and people loved the absence of the light so much that they didn't even recognize him. And here's the biggest problem. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. I was praying this through yesterday, and this just hit me like a ton of bricks. He came to his own. It's not just talking about everything belongs to God. Colossians 1 talks about everything was made through him and for him. It's all his. Abraham Kuyper used to say that when Jesus comes back, he's going to do this. He's going to say, mine, 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 because it all belongs to me. But this is actually specifically talking about something even more particular than that. He came to the religious, to those that held the book up and said, we can quote chapters. We know what the book says. We're going to tell you how to live. We're going to tell you how to walk. We're going to tell you what pleases God. We're going to tell you what doesn't please God. This is, what, this is how, what it says. This is how we do. He came to them and they didn't receive him. You know what I prayed? When, I, when, I, when that hit me, I did this. I dropped to my knees. And I just said, dear God, forgive me for every time you have come to me or brought something to me or shown something in my life or planned something or spoken something to me and I couldn't recognize it because I had become so fixated on my own agenda, so fixated on what I wanted and what I needed that I couldn't even see you. We've all done this. We have done it over and over and over again. God shows up in our church service and it's different than what we expected or what we wanted and we don't receive it. We say, well, they're acting fanatical or that doesn't line up with what I think this means or that doesn't look like something that I want to engage in or they look foolish or they look um, humiliating themselves. I don't know, just fill in the blank. We do this all the time. Somebody starts up a ministry outside the church and we're like, well, they're not affiliated with my denomination or they don't have backing and, and you know, they don't understand all of the theological principles and, you know, so that can't be of God. I challenge you, go back through every revival and every awakening and there's not one of them that had perfect theology. John Wesley had it wrong on his idea of perfectionism. He took it one grain too far. Jonathan Edwards was a Calvinist and didn't believe in the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit. Charles Finney didn't believe in original sin. They all had problems. But you know what? That didn't stop God. I'm glad that he doesn't say, Let me, you, have to have, uh, you have to score a 99 on your theology test <laughs> before I'll move in your midst. 
John Calvin used to say, I've got about 70% of perfect theology. The only problem is, is I don't know which 30% is wrong. <laughs> That's how I feel. I got, I got 80% good theology. I just don't know what 20% is wrong. <laughs> God doesn't need you to be perfect to move through you. Tell me that the Apostle Peter had perfect theology. I mean, they're 15, 16 years in. And Paul has to withstand him to the face and say, Peter, you're nullifying the grace of God. You're destroying the gospel. And this is Peter. This is the man that preached on Pentecost. God didn't need him to be perfect to move through him. Yes, praise God. Praise God that he doesn't expect us to be perfect. He wants us to strive towards it. But even like we talked about on Wednesday, if you go back to Matthew 5 um, where he says, be ye perfect even as the Heavenly Father is perfect, that's not a conversation about theology. It's a conversation about love. You're expected to be perfect in love. Let's keep going. Yet to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the privilege, the power, the authority to become the children of God. Let's skip down. The Word became flesh. This is the seal in his argument. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he goes on. This is the one that John testified about. He's making it clear now. The Son, the one who said he was come from the Father, Jesus, the Christ, this is the eternal Word that was there when God said, let there be light. I said before, last week, I said before God ever said, let there be light, he said, let there be salvation. But there was a time when God said, let there be light. Praise God. In fact, you can take the whole creation account. Remember verse 4 and 5 when he says, in him was life in the word, which we know to be Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Right? If you go back to Genesis, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. When he says, let there be light, he was simultaneously saying, let there be life. Because remember, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Let there be light, let there be life. Let there be life. And you can take the whole creation account, and you can use it as an allegory for what God does in a person's life. Serious. Genesis 1-2 is pre-salvation. Before Christ came into your life, you were steeped in darkness, and your life was empty and without purpose. God moved over you 
And when he moved over you, he said, let there be light, let there be life. And that's the moment of your salvation. And then he separates the light from the darkness. And then he takes and he does this dividing, this separating of the waters. And this is your sanctification. He's calling you out to be different, to be separate, to live above and apart. And then the third day, he creates this this idea of land and the trees and each tree bearing fruit after its own kind and each herb bearing seed after its own kind. This is the symbolic of you bearing fruit. And here's a practical lesson for you in this. When you bear a fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, when you bear a fruit of the Spirit, in that fruit contains the seed after its own kind. So when you show someone love and they partake of that love, you are planting the seed of love in their life. When you do that with kindness or gentleness or self-control and you show that, they partake of that, you are planting that seed in their life. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is so important and why we don't see people say, well, there's no love in this church. Well, why don't you start by showing love? You know, there ain't no kindness in this church. Well, why don't you start by being kind? Plant some seed. Let's go, farmers. Plant some seed. I'm, I'm speaking abstractly, not about this church, of course. But... That's what happens on the third day. After sanctification and you're called out, you're supposed to begin to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And then on the fourth day, there's this ordering of the cosmos. You have the greater light to rule the day. You have the lesser light to rule the night. You have the stars of the heavens. This is about the Son who has light in of himself. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the moon, the lesser light that rules the night, doesn't have light in of itself. It reflects the light of the sun. But in so doing, it establishes this authority over the darkness. Because when light comes, darkness can't comprehend it, it can't overcome it, it can't overtake it, it can't understand it, it can't defend against it, it can't stop it, it can't hinder it. Light always has the preeminence. And we have the ability to become light bearers and reflect the light of Christ into the world around us and thereby operate in a level of authority over the darkness. We don't exercise that the way that we should, but we have that right. And then the fifth day, you have the creation of the birds, and then you have the fish in the sea, and then the sixth day, you also have the land that walk on the animals. This is a, or the animals that walk on land. This is a picture of discipleship. See, people are lost in the sea of sin. We're supposed to pull them out. And they, then they go from being lost in the sea of sin to being out of that sea of sin, but now they're, they're animals. They're still tethered to the earth. But there is the potential for them to loose that tethering, to escape that bondage, to get out from being carnal Christians, and to soar the heavens like they were were meant to do the problem is is we got a lot more animals on land than we got birds in the sky (sighs) but that's our potential and then the ultimate goal of everything that God brings in your life is for you to be made in his image conformed to the image of the son of God and that is the imago Dei that is the place of perfect intimacy with God that's the ultimate aim right you see that and we're talking about creation here. But even in talking about creation, my favorite aspect of this is in the very first day when God says, let there be light, and he is simultaneously saying, let there be life. But what I love is when he creates light, what's he do? He separates light from darkness. We talked about distinguishing and division, right? You can't dis- divide the pe- persons in the Trinity. You can distinguish but that's not what God doesn't do, does here. He doesn't distinguish from the light from the darkness. No, he separates it. Because anytime new creation comes, division follows. And not all division is bad. Some division is ordained of God. And what we have 
been doing for far too long. I speak like this a lot. I don't mean to sound derogatory or like putting down. I'm just saying what we have been doing for far too long is we've been trying to have light and darkness coincide. We have not separated the light from the darkness. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be life, and there was life. They call this the divine fiat, meaning it's like the divine creation, the divine word. It's this thing that's so powerful that when God spoke, it had no choice but to happen. But when we pray, we act like there's a choice. And we believe like there's a choice. Remember the fourth day, we're supposed to reflect the authority and the light of Christ. The light that God created on the first day. The light that penetrated the darkness and the darkness couldn't overcome it. It couldn't withstand it. It couldn't comprehend it. We're supposed to be reflecting that. We're supposed to be speaking that into the darkness. And listen, when the moon's out and it's full, you can walk around like it's broad daylight sometimes. Because the darkness doesn't have power over the light. If I walk into a dark room and I flip the light on, what happens? The darkness is gone. It doesn't have a choice. Like, we don't have a conversation. I flip the light on the darkness. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to go, light. I, I just, I think I'm going to struggle with you for a minute. Like, that's foolishness. And if we flip the light on and nothing happens or flip the switch on and nothing happens, what do we do? We change the bulb <laughs> because something's wrong. <laughs> I mean, I have never walked into my bedroom, flipped the light on and said, oh, the light didn't come on today. Hey, it just must not have wanted to. It must not have been the will of the light to come into the room. (laughs) The room must not have had enough faith to receive the light. (laughs) But we don't do that. But come up here and pray and watch what we do. We go to flip the light on Oh, it must not be God's sovereign will for this to happen. Flip the light on. Oh, you must not have had enough faith to receive the light. That's not the way it worked. God didn't say, let there be light, and then said, I don't really know if I want there to be light or not. (laughs) See how foolish that is when we just put it in its proper context? So where's the disconnect? The creative power of God is unstoppable. It's irrefutable. It's irresistible. It's undeniable. It's unstoppable. You cannot prevent it. But yet, we fail. I just want to know why. I just want to know why. And I keep asking myself that. I'm like, God, where's the disconnect But guess what? I don't do. I don't stop saying, let there be light. Because anytime, and I've said this once, and I'll say it a thousand more times before I'm done, anytime this and this don't agree, guess where the problem is? It's with this. It ain't with this. This has stood the test of time. This is undeniable. This is the divine word of God written for us with power and life and light. 
I just think that our fingers are messed up when we're hitting that switch. The other night, last night, I didn't even think about this. I walked in to flip the light on. And you know how sometimes you'll go to flip the light on and your finger will slide off of it and it like halfway flips but it goes back down? You know what I'm talking about? You guys ever do this? Maybe you guys don't get in as big of a hurry as I do, but you go flip it and it like clicks like it's going to flip, but it only goes a partial way up and then drops back down because you didn't put enough force or enough emphasis on to get the light switch flipped all the way up. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. That's kind of like what we're doing in church. It's not that we're not trying. It's not that we're not engaging in the right motions or doing the right thing, but we're just, we're misstepping. We're misfiring. We're misflip switching. I don't know what you call it. But I'm not going to stop because the day will come. The day will come when we start hitting that switch and that light starts penetrating that darkness and things start changing. I believe that with every fiber of my being. 